0: Well, good morning. I uh, we flew in here yesterday morning from Atlanta, and I got a notice from I guess Delta Airlines that said because <clears throat> normally they tell you arrive two hours early f- to fly out of Atlanta, they said. You better come three hours early. There were so many people. I'm like, where did all these people come from? (laughs) So it's just a good thing they don't let visitors go to the airplane, you know, with you. Because you wouldn't be able to walk in that airport. It was a mess. Well, I am delighted to be here with you today. I've been to Dallas... I don't know how many times, but, or the area, Dallas area, next year, sometime in the spring, Stuart Scott and I are doing a marriage conference together at, I forget the name of the church, but, which one? Grace Life. Life. Okay, so, check it out, and, uh, I wanna see all of you and all of your husbands there too, those of you that are married. This morning, um, I have been tasked to give my testimony and before I do that, my husband is gonna ask, The first thing he's gonna ask me is when I walk out of there, he's, did you tell them <laughs> that we take debit cards, charge cards, Apple Pay, He said, firstborn children, (laughs) I don't want your babies, keep your babies, Um, and cash and checks. So he just wanted you to know that we've got you covered there. Um, So it is always a joy for me to be able to share with others what God has done in my life the story is an amazing work of grace i got saved when i was 33 years old and i'm going to move this i hope it's okay one time i was at a church and they had the cutest little microphone it was just cute and but i had my headset on and so i didn't need it so it was in my way and so i just kind of pushed it down and then there was a sign under it that said, do not touch this microphone. <laughs> I'm like, I bet they won't invite me back. So anyway, um, I was born in Atlanta, Georgia. I'm an only child and I was very spoiled by my parents. I was never spanked and I learned early on that if I persisted long enough, that I could have my way. I mean, my mother said even as a baby, I was like that. And when I went to school, public school, I was a good girl because way back then, if you were naughty, the teacher would take you down to the principal's office, the principal would spank you. So I wasn't stupid, I just didn't (laughs) wanna go be drugged down to the principal's office. But at home, I was very moody, very disrespectful to my parents. We went to church. We were members of a church that believed that good works saved you, particularly being baptized and taking communion. Now, as a child, those beliefs seemed logical to me. And when I was eight years old, I remember walking down the aisle at the end of the service And making a profession of faith and I was baptized and so the pastor told me I was a Christian well that was good because I didn't want to go to hell I wanted to go to heaven and I wanted to be patient my mother would say you are so impatient and then my Sunday school teacher which I think my mother talked to her behind my back (laughs) kept saying Love is patient. You have to be patient with other people. So anyway, it didn't take me long, because I thought when I walked down the aisle and I was baptized, then I would be patient all of a sudden. Well, that didn't happen. And um, so I failed miserably. And I remember thinking, I can't do this. So I quit trying, it didn't really even bother me. Well, when I was 14 years old, there was a split in the church, there was controversy over the pastor, and my parents left the church and we stopped going to church. Well, that suited me fine, because by that time I was in the youth group and I was terrified that they were gonna call on me to pray. And, Looking back on that, they would have never called on me to pray. <laughs> but I didn't know that then. The next encounter with church was as a young wife and mother. Sanford, my husband, and I became active in a church that was completely liberal. They did not believe the Bible was true. That church was full of people who thought everyone was saved as long as they were sincere. They also thought the Bible was full of myths. Some of it is true, some of it is stories uh, that are not true, that were just made up, and that God would never send anyone to hell. And they said, you need to read the Bible, and you can decide for yourself what you think is true and what you think is not true. Well, that didn't bother me because I never read it. As a young adult looking back on my life, I think I had three philosophies of life. One was the feminist belief that my identity was determined by my education and my career. Now, I graduated from high school and college and got married, had a baby in the 60s, and that was the decade of the big Feminist movement in America. So I just bought that hook line and sinker another one of my Philosophies of life was eat drink and be merry for tomorrow. You may die I don't know why God didn't kill me then but he didn't and the third philosophy of life And this is the most embarrassing one of all was it came from a movie Now, there was an actor, two actors back then, one, his name was George Burns, he was a little short guy who smoked a cigar, he was funny, and then John Denver was in that movie, and George, the name of the movie was, Oh God, now if you've not seen it, don't bother, (laughs) don't waste your time or money. But as an unbeliever, and I went, we went to the this movie, I thought it was brilliant. So in the movie, John, George Burns played God. And so with his cigar, he would come down and chit-chat with John Denver, who asked him questions. Well, one day, John Denver said, what about the different world religions? Who's correct? And so I'm sitting on the edge of my seat, like, I can't wait to hear his answer. And he said, well, it's like this. And playing God, he said, Mohammed is my son, Buddha is my son, and Jesus is my son. It doesn't matter what you believe. There's many ways to heaven and to God. And I thought, that is brilliant. <laughs> that makes more sense than anything I've been taught or heard in church. So I was in, on a personal quest for happiness. And I thought that my education and my beliefs would get me there. But I was still the same unbelievably selfish and strong will spoiled child that I had grown up to be. And I went through several stages in my quest to be happy. It was everything was all about me. I want to be happy. One stage is, I call it, my school stage. After high school, I attended nursing school in Atlanta, and I liked school. I enjoyed the challenge for a while, but I realized about halfway through this pro- nursing program, that it was not enough to make me happy. I wanted to finish the program, which I did, but it didn't make me as happy as I thought I would be. So, Sanford and I have been dating since high school. We were high school sweethearts. And off and on, we had talked about getting married. And... Um, So I thought, well, if we could just get married, then I would be happy. So I talked to him, and I said, what do you think about we go ahead and get married? And my senior year is what I was thinking. And he said, "Um, okay. (laughs) So we did. And uh, we got married in September of my senior year. I was age 19, he was 22 at that time. And we had this tiny, tiny little, cute little apartment and one old beat up car. And it was really bad, it had holes in the floor. And I think that's probably illegal, I don't know. (laughs) But you could drive down the road, and you could see the road. uh, And it was very unsafe. Um, We had barely enough money to pay the rent and to eat. And I had one more year to go in nursing school. But about six months after we got married, I realized this is not making me happy. I'm not as happy as I thought I would be. In fact, I was miserable. He was miserable. We, were, we never said the word divorce, but we were headed that way. So then I thought, okay, well, if I could just have a baby, then I would be happy. Well, I've talked to Sanford, and <laughs> I'm still in school, and I said, what do you think about if we have a baby? And he said, okay. <laughs> He wasn't any brighter than I was back then. And so I thought, well, this is probably going to take a while for me to get pregnant. It didn't take any time for me to get (laughs) pregnant. And so five months before I graduated from nursing school, I became pregnant with our daughter, our oldest child, Anna. And um, by that time, Sanford was in the Army, the American Army, and he got transferred to Germany. And so he came home with orders to Aschaffenburg, Germany. I'm like, who ever heard of Aschaffenburg, Germany? But anyway, it's a big deal over there. And um, so I, after I graduated, I followed him over there. My mother was so upset. She did not want me to go. She wanted me to stay in America. Now I know why <laughs> she wanted me to stay there. But anyway, Anna was born in Frankfurt, Germany, in a big snowstorm. It was. She was born in January, so it's cold over there. But it was exciting to live. I've never been anywhere like that. They have castles over there. They have all. They have an autobahn, and you, there's no speed limit. So Sanford loved it over there, and it, it was. But the winter set in, and it was cold, and I wasn't used to anything like that. So I quickly. And sometimes he'd be gone three weeks in a row without me hearing from him. He was out on um, army stuff, maneuvers. So. I became very homesick and I was unhappy. I made everyone around me unhappy and I wanted to go home. We didn't have cell phones, we didn't have computers, we didn't even have a telephone. And if we had had a telephone, we couldn't have afforded to call home because it was so expensive back then. But I remember being there and I remember one time thinking I wish I could study the Bible now for me that was a strange thought and I didn't know anyone in Germany who knew anything about the Bible it didn't occur to me that there was a chaplain that I could go talk to I'm sure he knew something about the Bible but I wrote a letter we had to. if you had wanted to communicate, you had to write letters back and forth to my mother-in-law, who I knew went to Sunday school, and I asked her to send me a Bible study. Well, when she opened the letter, she probably fainted. <laughs> and she did copy, Xerox copy, photocopy, whatever you want to call it, a Bible study, and mailed it back to me. And I had my... Bible with me. I had a little, I still have it. It's a little bitty white King James Bible with a gold zipper on it. And do you have one? Uh, Is your name on it? Uh Okay. Well, my name is, my maiden name is on the front of the, in gold letters. And my Aunt Ruby had given me that one year for Christmas or my birthday or something. It was like a good luck charm. I had never opened it. I didn't read it. (laughs) But I had my Bible. So I got the Bible study out, and I got the little Bible out. In fact, I was looking at it the other day, and it is in very good shape because I never read it. (laughs) So anyway... um, I didn't learn anything about the Bible over there. I didn't do the Bible study. I remember flipping through it. I don't even know what it was about. I don't know what happened to it. I must have cleaned up one day and thrown it away. So, But what I did learn how to do in Germany that I had not grown up seeing people drinking and partying and I did learn how to party and drink, and that was not a good thing for me. We began to go to parties with other young couples, and I began to drink often to the point of being drunk, and sometimes even sick. And I was determined, I'm not going to do this again, because I would have a headache the next day, I would throw up, this was bad, but the weekend would come and i would repeat the same thing by that time i was very unhappy and homesick and i wanted to go back to the states if we if we could just go home if we could just if i could just have a job as a nurse if i could just we could just buy a house then i would be happy we finally did get to go back to the states I got a job working as a nurse. Sanford went back to school because he was almost through with his degree, but he had to go back and complete it. We did buy a very small fixer upper house in an old neighborhood, and our street had so many dogwood trees, and it was beautiful there in, in the spring. But even that didn't make me happy. It wasn't long before I wanted something more in my life. So I thought, if we could just have another baby, then I would be happy. So you know what Sanford said? He said, okay. (laughs) So David, our son David was born three and a half years after Anna and my career continued and soon I decided I needed more education. Now, my mother said, you need more education like you need a hole in the head. You need to stay home with your babies and take care of them. And and I'm like, well, I was a feminist. I was not about to do that. So I quit my job and I went back to school. Well, there's this big... University in downtown Atlanta, Georgia State University, and I met a young woman who also was married. She didn't have any children, but we became good friends. We were in the same classes together in the same degree. Both of us were married. Both of us were thoroughly bored with our husbands, but I soon realized that she was, her life was not as dull as mine. She drank a lot, she partied heavily, and she was often immoral with men that she would meet. Now, you would think I would have been repelled by that, but instead I was drawn to that. After night classes, we would go to a local bar, near the school, frequented with students. My life had taken a bad turn but I was determined to find fun and happiness. Well after I graduated we moved to a different town. We live in Peachtree City, Georgia. If you've ever heard of that we have I think more golf carts than anybody other town has. The high school in Peachtree City has a golf cart parking lot. <laughs> It has 300 spaces, and it's full every day. So that's the kind of place it is. But anyway, we bought some property and began to build our dream house, or have it built. And I got a job teaching nursing, which was my dream come true. I taught critical care nursing, and I loved it. Outwardly, we looked like the perfect family, but... I was living a secret life of drinking and immorality, and I thought another man in my life would make me happy. Nothing made me happy. Well, I finally decided that freedom from my husband and my children, I was going to leave them too, would make me happy. And I began to make secret plans to leave them. Fortunately for me, unbeknownst to me, God had a different plan for my life. At the time we were building our house, we found out that the builder was stealing thousands of dollars from us, and we were left with no money in the loan and no savings and an unfinished house and that stress and my secret lifestyle was beginning to make me anxious now when i went to work at clayton college teaching nursing i had to share an office with another instructor and her name is katrina barnes katrina i didn't i had known katrina previous to we, when we went to work together, but I didn't know her well. When I got in there, in that office with her, I was trapped. It was like being chained to the Apostle Paul. <laughs> and she was a Christian, and she went to a little Bible church, which I thought was odd. I never heard of a Bible church, but now I go to a Bible church. Um, and every day, she would come telling me about how what she was learning at church. And most of it, I didn't know what she was talking about. But she, now, she and I are friends now. After all these years, after I got saved, we became friends. But she used to, one time, a couple of times... I made her cry because she st- she kept talking about the Lord this, the Lord that, blah, blah, blah. And I didn't know who she was talking about. And finally, she said, the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, then when she said that, I knew who she was talking about. And it made me angry. So I screamed at her, told her to stop talking, leave me alone. She burst into tears. She was sensitive like that. And... <laughs> And I was glad because she stopped talking. But then she went home, got all prayed up, and came back the (laughs) next day talking about the Lord. Now, I think she and I have two different perspectives on this. But I think all she talked about was what a sinner I was. And she didn't know the half of it. And that I was bound to hell. She said, that is not all I talked about. But <laughs> neither one of us really remember. Um, she was, she is one of my dearest friends now. And we, I, on Wednesday nights, her little church would have prayer meeting. Well, I didn't know that. But she would go, and when it was time to do prayer requests, she would raise her hand. Every Wednesday, she stood up and gave a report on me. (laughs) And they begged God to save me and to help her to keep going to work in there with me in the same office. Um, This happened for almost a year them praying for me. In fact, after I got saved and I uh, went, they had a big picnic thing one day in the summertime after I got saved. So I went, we went, and uh, I was famous in that little (laughs) church. Every person in that church knew my name. They knew who I was. They knew all about me. And at the same time, now, I've got my secret plans to leave my family, and I'm drinking. I'm an alcoholic. I drink all day, every day. I I did, um, except when I was at work, because I had standards, (laughs) and I wouldn't drink when I was at work. But we got a phone call from some old friends of ours, Jackie and Ed Sherwood, and they Ed and Sanford were fraternity brothers in college, they were roommates for a while. Ed was in the army, he stayed in the army, and they had moved back to the Atlanta area and Jackie called and we had heard that they had become religious and my comment was, that's too bad. (laughs) They won't be any fun anymore. And I'm thinking they won't party, they won't drink, they won't. You know, I don't even want to be around them. So, um, Jackie said, "We're back in town, at, back in Atlanta. We heard you moved to Peachtree City. Can we come visit you Friday night?" And she said, "We have two little girls that you've never seen. We want you to. We want to catch up with everybody and see the see your kids and you meet our children and she said I'll bring ingredients to make pizza now girls back then if you wanted a pizza you had to make it there was no 10 options of pizza in the freezer at the grocery store or a pizza thing on every corner so they came and we had a good time we were catching we knew their family. They knew ours. We were catching up with friends and different fraternity brothers and all of that. Well, about nine o'clock, and I'm thinking, they need to go home. (laughs) They need to take their children home. We need to put our kids to bed. Um, And Ed said, oh, by the way, I'm teaching an adult Sunday school class. And I'm like, this is not good. <laughs> so, and I, I was drinking, at, you know, that from the time I got home from work till this Sunday school class started at nine o'clock in the night. And he said, this week's lesson is really interesting. And he proceeded to give it. He had memorized it. He memorized the points. He memorized the scripture. He didn't have a Bible. He just started talking. He didn't ask permission either. So Sanford and I are looking at each other like this is a nightmare. And finally, Ed, he didn't pray. He didn't dare pray. And it's like I've been with Katrina all day. And now I have to hear Ed's Sunday School lesson. He's the one, he he just kept, they just kept coming, whether we wanted them to come or not. The next week, Jackie called me, and but before she asked if they could come back, she said, she gave me this sob story. Well, we're living with mom and dad and, and They're a very small house, and we're really crowded, and her dad was dying of cancer, and that's why they got a compassionate reassignment back to Atlanta. And so she said, so, can we come back Friday night? I'll bring ingredients to make pizza. Well, even as hard-hearted as I was, I said, (laughs) yes, you can come back. So... At nine o'clock, Ed said, "Oh, let me tell you about this week's <laughs> Sunday school lesson." I, I don't know what, why he thought nine o'clock p.m. So anyway, he gave his Sunday school lesson. The only thing that struck me—I don't remember anything about what he was talking about—but he did. He and Katrina at work believed. That God was real, and the Bible was true. Now I didn't believe that, but they did, and they when they talked about God, it was like he was real. this is for for real well i um the third week, Samper and I decided they are not coming back, and we were living in this condominium in Peachtree City, having this house built, and that was a disaster because of the builders stealing so much money from us. and um, They didn't call, so we were relieved that they're not trying to come back. Well, when I got home from work that day, well, I picked up the kids and came home from work, and I'm sitting on the sofa in this living room of this condo and it had a solid door, and then it had a glass panel beside it that you could see in or out of. And something caught my eye and I looked up and there they were. (laughs) And they were peeking in the glass panel and the tallest to the shortest, and when they saw me, and it was too late to hide because they had seen me, and I saw them, And they were laughing and smiling because they didn't know if we were there or not. And waving at me. And I was so disgusted. And I got up and I walked over and I opened the door. I didn't even say hello. I just did like this, like, come in. So they marched in. Jackie was first. And she had stuff in her arms. And then the two little girls and then Ed Jackie made an announcement. She said, we have a new tradition on Friday nights. And I thought, for the rest of my life, I have to hear Ed's Sunday school lesson and eat pizza with these people. So it it just, I mean, 9 o'clock every Friday night, we had Sunday school. He finally got tired of memorizing it all so he started bringing a bible he got really brave one day he's he's the one i talk about in the excellent white book that when he he read first peter three well that's women having a gentle and quiet spirit and i didn't know what that was but i knew i didn't have it (laughs) and then if that wasn't bad enough he kept reading and Sarah obeyed Abraham. I thought that's patently ridiculous. (laughs) And so, anyway, when he read that, I became so angry at him, I screamed at him to stop reading. I reached over the table, I snatched his Bible, and I threw it in his face. Well, there was dead silence in the room when I did that. Even I was embarrassed by that, but I didn't apologize. And he did stop talking. Well, a lot was happening. Katrina at work, Jackie and Ed on Friday nights and I still had my secret plans to leave. Gradually though, something strange happened to me. I became very anxious and I I was not a particularly fearful person. I was an angry, selfish, obnoxious person, but I wasn't fearful. But I started having anxiety, and then one day it got so bad I had a panic attack. Well, when you have a panic attack, your adrenaline goes off in your body and you, your heart rate races. You feel like you can't breathe. You feel like, you, I'd, I'd rather have a baby than have a panic attack. That's how bad they are. My hands would shake, my heart would pound, and I would feel terrified. So once I had one, and I knew physically what was going on, but I didn't know why that was happening. But I kept, once I had one panic attack, I kept having panic attacks often, several times every day, and... It got so bad that Sanford wanted me to go to a psychiatrist. Well, I wouldn't go because I figured he'd either put me on medicine or put me in the psych hospital, and I didn't want to lose my job teaching at the college. That had been my dream job come true. Well, Sanford is a retired air traffic controller, so he works shift work. We finally did get to move into that house, it was a beautiful house, and one night, um, he was at work, working till midnight, the kids were asleep, I had been drinking all day long, and I started having another panic attack. And I remember I was sitting at the kitchen table, Uh, there was windows all around me looking at the woods it was it was pretty sight, and my heart was pounding my hands were shaking and I thought I can't take this anymore this is it I'm gonna have to do something so I thought about what am I going to do well the only good option I could come up with was to kill myself so I planned it out in detail and um I didn't do it because I remembered something Katrina had said about hell and she was big on hell and she was determined that's where I was going to go. And I thought, I don't believe that there's a hell, I don't believe that's true, but what if she is right? So, for selfish reasons, I didn't kill myself, I I went to bed, which is what I should have done hours before that. The next morning, when I woke up, I remembered what had almost happened the night before, and it scared me, I was terrified. And I thought, I diagnosed myself as an alcoholic, I said, My problem is, I am an alcoholic. Well, that was just one problem out of many. But I decided to stop drinking cold turkey. So I did. I went downstairs, I poured out everything that we had alcoholic there, and I quit drinking. Then I thought, okay, I'm gonna go into withdrawal in two or three days. That never happened. I think God was just merciful to me. I don't know why I didn't go into withdrawal, but I could think clearer, And but I still kept having the panic attacks. And out of desperation, I, be, I opened my little King James Bible, I unzipped <laughs> it, and Ed, our Sunday school teacher on Friday nights, kept saying read the gospel of John so I unzipped it I found the gospel of John and he said don't just read a little bit of it read the whole thing from beginning to end and just keep reading it over and over it was summertime by then and I had the summers off so I had I was having panic attacks I had been drinking all day And then I started reading the Bible. Well, I read the Gospel of John so many times, I could have told you what was going to happen next. And uh, I knew the story. You know how when you read a children's book to your children, you read it so many times, you don't even have to turn the page. You know what is going to be on the next page. Well... um, Sanford really started pressing me to go to a psychiatrist and I said well why don't we go start going to church and go to Ed's Sunday school class (laughs) and save him the effort on for Friday nights so Sanford and I said if I don't get better then I will go to the psychiatrist well you know what Sanford said. He said, okay. But it was reluctantly he said that. Well, I began to desperately read my Bible, but it was King James, and it was tiny. Do you know how tiny that little print is? And I couldn't understand it. it didn't make sense to me. So I told Jackie and Ed, I said, okay. I tried to read the gospel of John but it doesn't make sense so Jackie and Ed went out and bought me a new Bible one that was easy to read and big print <laughs> bigger print and uh, gave it to me and I was impressed by that they were desperate they would have done anything there so Ed one day he said um, do you pray I said, no, am I supposed to pray? He said, why don't you pray and ask God to help you? So I thought, well, that couldn't hurt anything. So um, I prayed that God would take my anxiety away. I asked him to take my anxiety away. Give us our money back that the builder had stolen. Now, I had decided not to leave my family because I was too emotionally unbalanced to be on my own. I knew that. And I prayed that God would put our marriage back together. We were together, but barely. God did not answer any of those prayers. But there was another evening when Sanford was working and the kids were asleep. And I got in bed. I was tired, but my I started having a panic attack and my heart was pounding and my hands shaking. I couldn't sleep. So I sat up, turned on the light, got the Bible that Jackie and Ed had given me and started reading in the uh, chapter, first chapter in the Gospel of John. And I read through chapter 13. Now, Jesus had told... By chapter 13, he had told his disciples that he was going to be killed. Well, they didn't understand. They panicked. It scared them so much. And so in chapter 14, he starts out comforting them. He said, Do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. For I go to prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. That where I am, there you may be also. And you know the way where I'm going. All right, I knew where they were going because I had read the whole thing. But they didn't know. And Thomas said to him, Lord... We do not know where you are going. How do we know the way? And then he said, Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Now, when that I had read that so many times, but that night when I read it, it's like it came alive to me. And... I stopped and I read it again. No one comes to the Father but through me. And I thought, well, he's claiming to be the only way to God. And that night I thought, okay, I think that's true. And then Jesus said, if you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on you know him and have seen him. All right, that confused them. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it's enough for us. In other words, we want to see God, and we're going to stop, we will stop asking questions. Jesus fussed at him and said, have I been so long with you, and yet you have not come to know me? He who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father. Well, when I read that, he who has seen me has seen the Father, I gasped. And I'm like, he's claiming to be God. I didn't know that. (laughs) And I was shocked at the idea. And then I remembered something, my Sunday school teacher me When I was eight years old, third grade little girls class, I remember her writing on the board the words, the Trinity, God, the father, God, the son, God, the Holy Spirit. And I thought I had not thought about that in years. And she. Uh, but then I realized that night as I was reading this, what Jesus had said. That's what that lady was trying to teach us and trying to tell us. She's talking about the Trinity. Jesus said, Do you not believe that I'm in the Father and the Father's in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own initiative, but the Father abiding me does his works. Believe me that I'm in the Father and the Father is in me otherwise believe because of the works themselves. Okay, now, in the Old Testament, which the disciples knew the Old Testament, the, the people, the uh, prophets, prophesied that when the Messiah comes, he will be God with you. He will Raise people from the dead, he'll give sight to the blind, he'll heal the lame, he'll do all these miracles, and you all will be eyewitnesses to it. So his Jesus disciples had been with him for three years and seen him do all of these things. So Jesus is saying, If you don't believe what I'm telling you who I am, then believe because of the works the miracles that you have seen me do. And then in verse 13, he said, Whatever you ask in my name, that will I do so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And it was just during that moment when I just read those last three verses that night, all of a sudden, it just, God just opened my heart to believe. He gave me a new heart. He gave me, He illuminated the scripture as truth to me. And then I started praying. But this time, It was not a selfish prayer. It was a different prayer. I was so convicted of my sin, and it just, I thought I was going to die. And I started confessing my sin, and I would confess something and ask him to forgive me, confess another, and it was a long, filthy, dirty, ugly, vile list. And when I couldn't think of anything else to confess, Then I said, now I understand that you are real and that you have the power to take my anxiety away, but whether you do or whether you don't, and when I said that, I stopped talking because I realized if he didn't take it away, I would soon be in a psych facility and everything would crumble my job and everything else but then I just kept praying and I said whether you take it away or whether you don't you decide how my life can glorify you the most and then I pointed where he said um You can ask me anything in my name and I will do it. And it was like, do you see what you wrote here? I mean, that's what I was thinking. I'm going to hold you to it. And then I said, I'm praying in Jesus' name, amen. Well, that was the moment, the evening, that God saved my soul. And... I uh, was tired that night, my panic attack had gone away, and the next morning, because morning after morning I would wake up barely half awake and all of a sudden have a panic attack, and before I could get out of the bed my heart would be pounding, my hands would be shaking, I would just be a basket case. But the next morning, instead of waking up to the fear gripping me, I awoke to the peace of God that surpasses all comprehension. And I knew instantly that I had finally found this is how I thought about it what I was so desperately looking for. But I did I now I know. God didn't, I didn't find God, he found me. And he drew me to himself. And other than having the same physical body, Sanford had been at work, he didn't know any of this had happened. He went to work married to one woman, and then he came home married to a different person. But God was real to me, I loved him, I loved his word, then I started reading other parts of the Bible, and I'm like, oh my. <laughs> I remember opening it up to Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And I I was just thrilled because, see, I had been a science person, and I was... Um, I believed in evolution. I knew it was a theory, but I just figured it was true. Well, when I read that God created the heavens and the earth, I knew that God was the creator, not millions and billions of years and us evolving from monkeys or whatever they think. Um, he did, God did slowly put our marriage back together. I didn't tell anybody what had happened because they already thought I was crazy. And I figured if I tell them that God is here, they would—they really will put me in a psych <laughs> hospital. So uh, I just kept going to, we just kept going to Sunday school and church, and I just kept reading my Bible. And um, finally, after about two weeks, I thought, if I don't tell somebody, I'm going to bust with, I want to tell somebody what happened. So I went to Jackie, Ed's wife, and I said, I want to tell you a secret, (laughs) but you can't tell anybody. (laughs) And she rolled her eyes and because she had heard some of my secrets. And she said, what is it? And I think it scared her. And I said, I whispered, and I said, God is real to me. Do you think I'm crazy? And she she laughed. She said, I don't think you're, we don't think you're crazy. We already knew that God was real to you. I'm like, did God tell you that? (laughs) I I knew I hadn't told anybody and she just she said it's obvious by what you're how you're acting what you're saying what you're doing Um, so anyway when Katrina heard what happened she said this that was the happiest day of her life (laughs) and I'm sure it was (laughs) having to go to work with me was a nightmare (laughs) I never again had a desire to leave my family and eventually quit my job so that I could stay home and take care of them better. I began teaching a ladies Bible study and eventually the Lord led me to um, take biblical counseling courses and that's, I learned a lot from doing that, practical stuff on how to live out the Christian life. Only God can give you a desire to be used by him for his glory and a desire to submit yourself to him and his word, wanting to please him. Only God can supernaturally give you a new heart that desires his glory above all and an incredible joy in serving him. Now, this new heart, your heart, is who you are on the inside. It's what you're thinking, it's what you're desiring, it's what your motives are. And I had an unbeliever's heart before God gave me that night a new heart. And, I mean, my whole desires changed. I was halfway through, a course, on my master's degree in nursing at Georgia State. And I would go to school at night. I was exactly halfway through. And a few days later, the Lord convicted me that I needed to be home. I needed to take care of my family. I didn't need to be out at night at downtown Atlanta, going to bars and different things. And so I I wrote a letter to the dean of the nursing school at Georgia State, and I said, "Um, I have become a Christian, and the Lord Jesus is coming back. I had just found that out. And I said, so I don't have time for this program. (laughs) Withdraw me. And of course they did. And I'm sure they're still laughing about this, those that are still alive. Every once in a while when I think about it, I say, Lord, please come on back while some of those people are still alive. Because I want them to say... That's what she was talking about because I'm sure they remember that. So it is only God's mercy that we can be saved. So if you're not saved, then start reading the gospel of John and ask God to illumine the scriptures to you, to make them real to you. And to use you, however he chooses, for his glory. So let's pray. Father, you are awesome. You are our creator. You sustain us. You sustain our universe. You are good. You are holy. You are awesome. And I pray that every lady in here will bow before you in her heart and that she will, you will give her a heart that longs for you, that loves you, and that you will use her and all of them for your glory, no matter what that means. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Okay. Okay, we can take a break for how long? A, a five minute break? All right, G- give me a longer break than that. <laughs> All right. Oh, thank you. Right, ladies. yoo <laughs> Come in. I think Felicia wants to make an announcement. Giving ladies a break is always iffy. Okay, are you hungry? <laughs> All right. I do want to <clears throat> tell you about some of the books we brought just for your information. This one is titled Damsels in Distress, Biblical Solutions for Problems Women Face. I took different, th- this is, was written a while back, but I took different um Topics like trials, the role of women in the church, legalism, the feminist influence, manipulation. That chapter has been very helpful for a lot of people. Um, When somebody's trying to manipulate you, how should you respond? So anyway... I initially titled this book, Problems Women Face, and near the time when the publisher was ready to go to print, the acquisitions editor called me and said, we don't like your title. I'm like, well, this is not a good time to tell me. (laughs) And he said, it's negative. I said, we'll call it Biblical Solutions for Problems Women Face, because that's positive. And he said, that's boring. (laughs) So anyway, I um, called my daughter, Anna, who's an English teacher, and she is familiar with all my manuscripts because she corrects the grammar. And then my pastor, who is familiar with all my manuscripts, because he makes sure that all the scriptures are in context, so I said, we have to have an emergency meeting, because this was on Friday, and the publisher said, I need the new title by Monday. So Anna, I said, let's meet at Starbucks Saturday morning at 10 o'clock or whatever, and Anna said, okay. And John, our, my pastor, said, no, I'm not coming. I said, no, this you have to come. This is an emergency. And he, his wife had just had their fourth baby, and I don't think he was getting much sleep. But her mother was there. She wasn't by herself. <laughs> and, and I said, look, I'll buy you anything you want at Starbucks. He loves Starbucks. If you'll come. So he finally said, okay. So he came, they came, we sat down, I got them their drinks, and Anna and I started chit-chatting about what the title should be. John didn't say a word. I don't think he was getting any sleep. And finally he said, call the book Damsels in Distress. Well, Anna and I looked at each other and... We both said, oh, we like that. John never said another word. He picked up his coffee and he left. (laughs) So each chapter stands by itself if somebody has an issue that they're dealing with that they want. Now this book, Biblical Counseling and Practice, Volume 1, I haven't written Volume 2 yet. I've committed to. I've got to do that. But... I wrote this during COVID lockdown after <clears throat> I cleaned out my pantry. It took half a day. And then I'm like, now what am I going to do? Because <laughs> I didn't have, I was bored to death. And so I remember walking upstairs to go to my desk and thinking, well, I'll just call, pu- pull out some of my old um, biblical counseling lectures that I've done and write biblical counseling book this is how I counsel somebody with these issues so this book there's a chapter on depression one on anxiety counseling women to be godly mothers counseling women going through a divorce counseling women to have a gentle and quiet spirit that's a killer (laughs) Um, but anyway that is my latest book and if you're interested And some of these issues or wanting to help other women, I think that would be a good good choice. This book I wrote shortly before I wrote the biblical counseling, Precious Truths in Practice, Holding Fast to God When You're Overwhelmed. This, I think, is the most important book I've ever written. And if I could have only written one for the Lord, it would have been this one. Now, The Excellent Wife gets all the drama. <laughs> people, When people say, I've read your book, I know which one they're talking about. <laughs> but what I did was I picked out different attributes of God. And this is the most personal book I've ever written. And it's not a book about me, and I just don't go on and on about me, but it's got little snippets of a huge major trial that we went through in our lives. So at the end of every chapter is a a chart, a a comparison chart, wrong thinking and right thinking. Uh, That's my favorite thing to, to do And then at the the last three chapters, there's a chapter on sanctification, well, justification, sanctification, and glorification. So anyway, you might want to look at that. All right, now we are supposed to talk about trials, abounding in hope in the midst of trials. Why me? Why is this happening to me? is a common question when people go through trials. Their motive in questioning God may be innocent, but most of the time it's not innocent. We're just upset because we are in a trial. People might conclude there is no God or else that he would stop the trial. They may conclude that God is powerless to prevent trials and they i've even heard one pastor famous pastor in Atlanta say we have to come to the place where we forgive god that's that's blasphemy we we have nothing to forgive god for these wrong conclusions and beliefs are blasphemous as they malign god's character because they accuse him of not being good or not being all-powerful. Now, I've been a biblical counselor to women since 1989, so I've counseled hundreds of women over the years, and I have had so many come to me because they're in some sort of bad trial or bad situation. It's been interesting to me, though, after... A while, I noticed some of them were in extreme trials, yet they were clinging to God and they were doing well in the trial. Some were just in what I would call just a tiny little trial, no big deal, and they were absolutely falling apart. So others... The emotional pain can be overwhelming. It can be horrific. Two things happen, though, when you are so struggling and contending with God. They're not persuaded of the goodness of God, and they are not grateful to him. So not being grateful to God and not being persuaded of his goodness. They're experiencing frustration, fear, and bitterness. They're desperate for relief from their emotional pain. But instead of giving God glory, they blame him. So the second thing that I want to talk about here are God's purposes and our test. Some biblical principles that we need to know one thing that we need to remember is that God is sovereign. Think of sovereignty as the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Psalm one fifteen starting in verse one, says, "Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name, give glory because of your loving kindness." Because of your truth, why should the nation say, where now is their God? But our God is in the heavens. He does whatever he pleases. So he, is, he created us, and like the potter, moles, the clay, God has authority over us to use us however he chooses. Whether we like it or not, whether we agree with it or not, God is always the highest authority. And then we, as God's creatures, are to glorify him. That's our purpose for being here. In uh, Isaiah 43, and verse 7, God is speaking here and he said everyone who is called by my name and whom I have created for my glory, whom I have formed, even whom I have made. So we are obligated to bow before God, to obey him and to uh, submit to his will for our life. Therefore, We are to submit ourselves to his sovereign hand. And then point B, under God's purposes in our testing, God decided, or you could say decreed, this is from eternity past, before he ever created the world, how we may best give him glory. Now the only way to give God glory is to become more and more like him to grow in Christ-likeness. God uses the circumstances in our life, good circumstances as well as bad circumstances, to test us and to mold us into his image. In Romans 8:28 and 29, this is a promise to Christians. And we know that God causes all things that could be good or bad, To work together for good to those who love God. So the hitch there is those who are born again and they're being obedient to the Lord. To those who are called according to his purpose. His purpose is his own glory. And us becoming more and more like the Lord Jesus Christ glorifies him. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his Son. So God uses circumstances. We don't go through anything just in vain. There's a purpose behind it. Nothing happens to us by chance, fate, or luck. It is God's sovereign will. For us to go through these trials. The blessings that God gives us are astounding. Life, the abilities we have, saving us is the most astounding blessing of all. Our salvation showcases God's mercy, holiness, and our utter inability to save ourselves. And then point number five, God does permit others to sin against us, and he uses that for his purposes. Proverbs 21, 1. The king's heart is like channels of water, In the hand of the Lord, he turns it wherever he wishes. And then the story at the end of Genesis, uh, chapter 50, verse 20. This is Joseph. You know what all happened to Joseph and his brothers. Well, some of them wanted to kill him. Some sold him off as a slave. And they thought he was long dead, long gone. Well, long story short... God raised him up to be under pharaoh's um, secondary over the land of egypt to the king's uh, authority and so when his brothers came down after the when the famine was happening they they had heard that Egypt had grain and they wanted to buy some grain and Eventually, they figured out who Joseph was, their brother, and it scared them. And they figured, well, as soon as our father dies, Joseph is going to kill us, or he's going to imprison us. I would have killed him. (laughs) (laughs) But he said, um, so they went, after their father died, his brothers came to him, and they were afraid And Joseph said, and only God could have given him the insight and the grace to say what he said. But he said, you need to think about this rightly. Now, I'm paraphrasing. I'm not quoting him. But what you did was evil. But God meant it for good. So we can have evil done against us or we can go through very hard trials, and yet God can use it for our good. To Our good is to make us more like Jesus and for his glory. And then point number C, sometimes God tests us, and when he does, he has a definite purpose or purposes. I mean, you can think of all kinds of trials maybe an unexpected death of a loved one or a long, difficult illness for yourself. A lot of you have toddlers, and if you ever taken your toddler to the grocery store, <laughs> and they have a temper tantrum, and everybody looks at you like you're a terrible mother, and what are you doing to that baby? One purpose that God has for these kinds of trials is to prune us so that we can bear more fruit for his glory. Now, in John 15, um, Jesus talks about us being pruned. He said, Jesus said, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch of me that does not bear fruit... He takes away, and every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. And then verse 7, he says, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit. And so prove to be disciples of mine. And then he goes on there, verse 13, he said, well, verse 12, this is my commandment that you love one another just as I have loved you. Verse 14, he says, you are my friends if you do what I command you. Verse 16, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you would go and bear fruit and that your fruit would remain so that whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he may give it to you. This I command you, that you love one another. Now, when we have a trial, I mean, you could just, have you ever stubbed your toe on a piece of furniture? That just hurts so bad. And, I mean, just little things. Or you pick up the phone and it's really, really bad difficult bad news or you go to the doctor and he gives you bad news these trials often bring out the worst in us and it can bring out anger it can bring out a self focus it can bring out fear and anxiety it can bring out bitterness the emotion you feel when you're bitter is hurt So thankfully, the worst, the sin that bubbles up inside of us is pruned off as God convicts us of our sin and helps us turn from sin to righteousness. And then number three, God tests us to discipline us for our good. Fortunately for us, God has a pure motive and he has a compassionate heart. He disciplines those whom he loves so that we can share his holiness. So when you're sinning and when you need correcting from God, he does it because he loves you. You can read about that in Hebrews chapter 12. He says, therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us Also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who, for the joy set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of God. And then... In verse 4, he says, You have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood in your striving against sin, and you have forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are reproved by him. For those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines. And he scourges every son in whom he receives. It is for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as with sons. For what son, what what Christian is there whom his father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline, of which all, he's talking about all believers, have become partakers... Then you're illegitimate children and not sons. In other words, you were never saved to begin with. You can just live your life however you want. Furthermore, we had earthly fathers to discipline us, and we respected them. Shall we not much rather be subject to the Father of Spirits and live? Our earthly fathers disciplined us for a short time, as seemed best to them. But God disciplines us for our good so that, now listen to this, so that we may share his holiness. What a sweet thing that God does for us. All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful but sorrowful. Yet to those who have been trained by it afterwards, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. So God has a high and holy purpose behind putting us through trials and then disciplining us if he needs to if we're out of line, sinfully out of line. And then number four, God gives us special opportunities to see if our faith is proven to be genuine. He's testing our faith. 1 Peter 1, verse 6 through 8. In this, you greatly rejoice. He's talking about you're being born again. You remember what Christ has done for you. Even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials. Now, the the people that Peter was writing to were... um, Nero was the emperor of Rome and he hated Christians. He made Christianity illegal and they were afraid of what Nero was going to do. But he said, If necessary, you have been distressed by various trials so that the proof of your faith being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, but believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. So God, test us, test our faith. When we're in the trial, God is working in our hearts and he is seeing if we are going to respond to glorify him. All trials, great trials or small trials, give us an on-the-spot opportunity to prove who we really worship and serve. Is it our own comfort or is it our Lord? If our faith is genuine... As Peter said, it would result in praise and glory and honor to God. And then in James 1, verse 2 through 4, God is maturing us in during trials. There, there is a purpose. There, there's a lot of commonality in James and then Peter when he wrote First Peter. James 1, verse... 2 through 4. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its perfect result so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So, several things that I want you to kind of key in on. Number one, God wants us to be grateful. Being When I thought about this, being grateful or being thankful is similar to loving someone. Sometimes you feel like you love that other person, and sometimes you show love to them regardless of how you feel. Gratitude to God is either... A thought and or an action it may or may not include a wonderful feeling of gratitude, but god's command is clear um, Colossians three verse fifteen through seventeen <clears throat> Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body and be thankful. Let the word of Christ, which is scriptures, richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing and admonishment is a warning one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God whatever you do in word or deed do all in the name of the Lord Jesus giving thanks through him to God the Father Uh, we were we helped start our church 30 something years ago and uh, we didn't have a church building So, we rented space in different public schools around in the county. And we were at the mercy of whatever piano that they had. (laughs) And we were doubly at the mercy of me, because I was the the only one who could play the piano. So, I had to be the pianist. And the only thing worse than my piano playing was their singing. (laughs) And there was a small little group of people. And so, anyway, I kept resigning as the pianist. But my husband was an elder and he wouldn't let me until somebody else came along. And then that, uh, and she was so good. It was it was such a joy for her to take this over. But anyway, um We, there was one Sunday that we were moving from one school to a different school, and for some reason, I thought that that other school had a good piano. I don't, I just made that up, I think, because I just, I didn't know. But I got there early, and the man who was leading the singing got there early, and we would always practice. We needed to practice. And so I started playing that piano. It sounded like a honky-tonk bar piano. (laughs) It had broken keys. It was off. It was out of tune. It was the worst piano I had ever tried to play. And so Jerry Gunter, who was one of our other elders... He's starting trying to sing, and I'm trying to play. Well, I started crying. And when you cry, and your nose runs, and your tears are in your eyes, you're not a good piano player, because you can't see what you're doing. And then my thought was, Lord, why? Okay, that was not a good thought. Why can't we have a decent, halfway decent piano? The church down the street has a big Steinway and they don't even believe the scriptures are true. (laughs) We love you. We believe your Bible is true. So anyway, Jerry noticed that I was crying. And so he stopped singing and he came over by the piano and he said, I think... We need to pray and I'm like I think so. So we bowed our heads and he said, Lord, thank you for this piano (laughs) and I thought, Oh brother. (laughs) And that if that wasn't bad enough, he said, and I pray for Martha that she will repent of her pride. Well, when he said that, I had had it. And I thought, well, I'll show him. I'm not going to cry. So I quit crying. I blew my nose. We went back to practicing. We went. Then we went to Sunday school. And the whole hour, I was like, why, Lord? Why? We are so pitiful. If somebody, if a visitor comes and they hear this music, they'll never come back. So anyway, um, that was at, toward the end of Sunday school. I have no idea what Sunday school was about that, that week. Um, the Lord just convicted me how very ungrateful you are after all all that we have done, I've done for this little church and getting it started. And um, so I asked God to forgive me for not being grateful. So then Sunday school was over and I had to go out and face the music. <laughs> so, But We are, I would say I wasn't expecting that. I didn't expect it to sound like the Steinway in the liberal church, but I did expect it to just be playable and in tune. And um, God just tested my faith, and I totally fell flat on my face. I was not grateful to him. But God wants us to be grateful and to be fully persuaded of his goodness. Psalm 100, that you're all familiar with. Shout joyfully to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful singing. Know that the Lord himself is God. It is he who has made us and not we are, and it should be translated, and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him, bless his name. Now, David, when he became king of Israel, he was musical. He wrote a lot of these psalms, and they're songs to God and a praise to God. And he um, organized a men's choir, the Singers of Israel. And Jerusalem was not very big back then, but the Temple Mount was up on a small mountain on a hill and the the singers would gather at the bottom of the, the, the hill and they would start singing this psalm or one of the psalms and I imagine you could hear it all over Jerusalem. It must have been amazing. So there these men's voices and they're moving up toward the temple and there is a gate or a wall around the temple with gates and you go through a gate into the courtyard of the temple. So they're singing, enter his gates, they're going through the gate with thanksgiving, and into his courts with praise. Give thanks to him, bless his name, for the Lord is good. His loving kindness is everlasting and his faithfulness to all generations. So God wants us to be grateful and to be fully persuaded of God's goodness. Now, suppose you receive an unexpected bad report on your mammogram, or you learn of the sudden death of a loved one, or you find out that your child's spouse is leaving him or her. At the very least, your emotions will be reeling, and you probably will not be able to sleep. Grief will wash over you like a wave at the beach, And while all of these examples are trying or testing times, you must remind yourself of the goodness of God. Pray and think, Lord, you are good to have let me live this long with clear mammograms. Or you are good to have let me have my loved one for as long as I did. Or you are good to our child because he or she does not have to go through this marriage separation in vain. You should remind yourself that God is good regardless regardless of your circumstances. A person who loves him will be convinced of his goodness on days sprinkled with small aggravating tests as well as on days consumed by immense grievous trials. God is good, and good thoughts of Him should fill our hearts always. And then realize that God must love us very much to test our faith as He did. Psalm 136 tells us that His love is everlasting, and that's eternal. It says, Praise the Lord. Wait a minute, that's the wrong Psalm. Hold on. Psalm 136. I give thanks to the Lord for he is good, for his loving kindness is everlasting. Give thanks to the God of gods for his loving kindness is everlasting. Give thanks to the Lord of lords for his loving kindness is everlasting. To him who alone does great wonders, for his loving kindness is everlasting. To him who made the heavens with skill, for his love and kindness is everlasting. To him who spread out the earth above the waters, for his love and kindness is everlasting. And then it just goes on and on there. The last verse in that chapter, verse 26, give thanks to the God of heaven. For his love and kindness is everlasting. Um, So. We are one of our very first thoughts is. Should be to thank God for the trial. Now you're not going to feel like, oh, I'm happy about this. But we can, by an act of our will and God's grace, thank him for what he is putting us through. A person who loves him will be convinced of his goodness on days sprinkled with small aggravating tests as well as on days consumed by immense, grievous trials. God is good, and good thoughts of him should fill our hearts always. So, realize that God must love us very much to test our faith as He does um, God cannot have decreed any test or trial for us that is not motivated by the love of God now, several years ago our one Sunday morning, our pastor got up and he you could tell he was upset about something. And before he started his sermon, he said uh, he had gotten a call the night before. Two of his seminary buddies had been killed in an automobile wreck. They were both married. And both men, well, one couple didn't have any children, but the other couple did. They had four little children, babies and small children, and the two men and their families were making plans to go to the mission field together and start a church or whatever they were going to do at the mission field. And they, the two men and one of the children went out to, I think they were, um, the story I heard, I think they were getting donuts for the family or something. A drunk driver came the other way and swerved in front of them and hit them head on, and they were killed. The, the little boy was not killed, but the two men were killed. So when they they called John to tell, somebody called John, or my pastor, to tell him, and then he told us, and then we prayed for the families that were left and um, we kept praying for weeks for them so i knew about the story and then one day um, i got a phone call from a friend of lois lois was the wife that had the children and uh, her friend called me and said you don't know this but Lois has heard you speak before and she thinks the world of you and it would mean a lot to her if you would send her a note and I said, well, I'll be happy to do that. Just give me her address and so they, the lady did and I wrote her a letter. Now, it was a hard letter to write because I didn't I didn't even really know her personally but I said all the usual stuff, like, um, we are so sorry. Our church is still praying for you and the children. If there's anything that I can do or our church family can do, just let me know. We'll be glad to try to help you. Um, And then I thought, I need to say something about why. Why did this happen? And I said, I don't know why this happened. I'm not going to pretend to try to tell you, but I do know this, that God is testing your faith, and he must love you very much to test your faith at this level. And so then I quoted... 1 Peter chapter 1, 6 and 7 and 8. In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials, so that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ now I had no idea how she would take that or if it I I prayed that God would use it to comfort her but I I just I didn't know well months later I was doing a conference somewhere and another one of her friends I think she had a lot of friends (laughs) back in those days came up to me at the conference and said Low- when Lois got your letter it meant a lot to her and she put it up and whenever she would feel overwhelmed she would go and get it out and read it again and then put it back until the next time so it is amazing how God can use his word and it's alive and powerful and it judges the thoughts and intents of the heart. You can't get any deeper inside a person than what the scriptures do. So so that the proof of your faith be more precious than gold which is perishable even though tested by fire may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Our hearts have a place for sorrow and grief, but it should be not sinful sorrow, it should be godly sorrow. Like, remember when Lazarus died and Jesus wept? Uh, and even though he knew he was going to raise him back from the dead, uh, he grieved, but he didn't grieve sinfully. We can grieve, rightly so, from different circumstances, but we don't have to shake our fist at God or blame him Uh all the trials that Jesus went through were grievous, but he never, ever sinned. It is a grand and glorious mystery how God sovereignly works in his creation. He decreed from eternity past how we may best give him glory. And he has definite and good purposes for us as he tests us. Our obligation is to be grateful to fully persuaded of his goodness and to realize how much he loves us then we can face whatever test or trial that comes upon us knowing that god is working in our life and the lives of our loved ones to accomplish his divine purposes so let's pray father we just are amazed it's your mercies that are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. And I pray that you will use us for your glory, even if it means that we have to go through some tests and some trials. And I pray that we will honor you and glorify you always. Give us grace. Help us to do what you want us to do, to think grateful thoughts, to be grateful children. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, where did Felicia go? She always disappears right when I need her. 12.15, okay, thank you.